I'm Ann Labar. And I'm Lisa Lancer-Rose. And this is This Animal Life. Join us here every week to geek out on animal intelligence, animal cognition, evolution, interviews with experts, and a good story here and there. Who doesn't like a good animal story? Lisa and I thought, what better way to start a podcast about animals than the kickoff during Discovery Channel Shark Week? So welcome to this animal life's own shark day. You know, today we're going to be talking about sharks, and we had tried to have a focus on intelligence. And when you think of a shark, you don't think of intelligence next. You think of a a mouth with a motor, I guess. <laughs> yes. What's in Jaws? What's what's his name? Quincy? I can't, I can't remember his name. It's terrible. Where he Quint, uh, where he says, telling that famous story in the hull of the boat. Yes. It's quiet, and he talks about um, the shark's eye. It's the doll's eye. Yeah. You know, the big black doll's eye, which is unseeing because it's right. a doll. Anyway, that's, yeah, you think it's just um, uh, an oceanic yeah. mouth. It's coming, <laughs> it to, coming eat. to eat you. It's like the Roomba of the ocean. <laughs> and you also think of them as being ultra primitive. And when I think we think of primitive animals and we think of, I don't know, not necessarily blank slate, but just pure instinct, you know, no, no cognition involved kind of thing. All, all uh, involuntary reactions like breathing. Like an exterminator, yeah, the exterminator, yeah. the terminator, oh, the terminator, yes. That's what I'm the terminator. The terminator. Um, it's, it's a robot and it's coming yes. to kill you. But they're more than that. Little bit. Surprisingly more than that. Yeah. So we're going to start with people and sharks. People and the sharks. The relationship. A relationship. The love affair. Oh, that's like, odd. Okay, let's hear it. I want a story. You want a story? I have a couple of stories. The first is just, you know, kind of what you were talking about. Like, what's our preconceived ideas? I was thinking about, like, what's my relationship to sharks? And the first thing I thought was a moray eel. Oh. So I thought of this woman, because I think we did say we wanted relationships with sharks. And the first thing I thought of was this video I had seen, uh, which I have since looked up. So I know it's uh, the woman's name is Valerie Taylor. I'd seen the video a couple of years ago. Apparently, the video was taken back in the 70s, and it recently resurfaced. But she is best friends with a moray eel. She's a diver. So when I asked myself why I associate moray eels with sharks, I realized that I have been terrified of moray eels ever since I saw The Deep. Oh. Yes. You remember that movie? Yes. <laughs> the ocean is horrifying. It, it really is. Yes. Yes. But I didn't realize, I mean, why would I? I saw this movie back in the 70s. It is based on a Peter Benchley book, and that name should remind you of Jaws. Right. Uh, Peter Benchley wrote the novel Jaws. By the way, Peter Benchley is said to have regretted Jaws, the movie, because of the shark slaughter oh. that ensued, which I think is kind of a shame because I did read the book and the book begins with a backstory. Did you read the book? No, I never read. I'd be telling you what you already know, but if you haven't read Jaws, there's a lot more to the story than appears in the movie. Of course, there always is. But this is one of those nuclear power plant warnings, you know, uh, oh. nuclear power cautionary tales. A, a nuclear power plant leaches some radioactive water into the ocean and the rest of us just die. <laughs> We're supposed to read radioactivity, right? But um, this shark gets bigger. You know, like it, it's it's just a classic radioactivity creates a monster. Right, kind right. Of. Yeah. Yeah. So the shark gets enormous. She manages to get pregnant. And then not only is she enormous, she's pregnant and really hangry. So <laughs> that's how she develops a taste for human flesh. Okay. Anyway, it's a shame that that's, that's not, not a movie, movie because at all, is um, it? she was just a great white shark. Right. Right. Whereas this was more of a, a monster movie, a real monster movie, not, not. A... Yes. And it was just a shark. Yeah. It wasn't a, you know, a radioactive shark. Right. Well, no wonder. 
I'd regret the movie too, actually, because I'm sure that that really did. Well, it shaped our fears about sharks. That's what I was going to say. Um, I'm from the Jersey Shore, I, I'm not the land <laughs> side. I actually grew up in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm semi-aquatic. When Jaws came out, it was 1975, uh, which means I was 12. And then I read the, the novel Jaws when I was 12. Wow. So, yes, that's how I discovered that if you ride in a car with somebody else's husband, you're going to end up dead in the road with your VJJ exposed. <laughs> you know, because that's true. Truth in, is true. in fiction. It's really. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we didn't call it a JJ back then, uh, for the record. We um, There was no word for the vagina back in 1975. Down there, yeah. <laughs> right, it was down there. Um, but we did know that lady parts were known to closely resemble the mouth of a great white shark. Anyway. Anyway, the deep came out two years later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and in it, Jacqueline Bissett goes wet t-shirt diving for vials of morphine in a shipwreck. I think that movie did more for boobs than, than it did for eels. She uh, she goes wet t-shirt diving for vials of morphine in a shipwreck. There's some just lovely long shots of her in the translucent t-shirt. But there is this terrifying scene in which Nick Nolte, he's got like a backpack on or something. He gets it hooked on some pipe or something. And he is surprised by a vicious moray eel. And he can't get away. Right. It's just a jump scare or like three jump scares in a row with him trapped there. If you look, if you read about it a little bit, you find out that like the shark in Jaws, that eel is actually a puppet. Oh, the puppet in Jaws was named Bruce. And this eel puppet is actually three 12 foot long eel puppets. And they're all named Percy. I don't know why we needed three eels or why they're all named Percy. I don't think that's fair. I think they should have each had their own yes. name. <laughs> Let's advocate for eel puppets. I, I wish that I had known that it was a puppet at the time. I did know that the shark in Jaws was a puppet. And you know, I was, I've always been a huge fan of puppets. I wanted to be a Muppeteer. But that eel is so scary in the deep that it's it's it, like you said it, it's a mouth it's just eyes and a mouth yeah. and like sheer blank faced murder yeah so the shark is a <gasps> vagina look at that <laughs> the eel is a penis and that's how peter benchley taught me sex ed oh, <laughs> nice when you were 12 boy very nice <laughs> so uh, we're going to put up a link for um, Wussies with teeth. No, we're not. And... No, <laughs> we're not. We will not. Go ahead. <laughs> In Film Freak Central, there's an article about the deep. You can find video video clips of Nick Nolte and and Percy. Anyway, I don't know about you, but after I saw Jaws and then reinforced by the deep, I couldn't even take a bubble bath. <laughs> you know. I was afraid of my toilet. I, I thought I can't sit here you know, with, with water underneath me. But the thing is, here's the thing. Back in the 70s, I still like to think, I, I probably still like to think that I can connect with any creature. Oh, right? me too. Well, didn't, yeah, I didn't recognize until decades later, I saw Valerie Taylor hugging this moray eel. And she's not, she's not just like going up and hugging a moray eel. That eel comes to wow. her. And that eel slithers all over her body and into her arms and all. Oh and uh, I know, I know. It gives me chills. In this one video that I'm going to share with you, it's an article with a video clip in it. She is cooing. There's a voiceover and she's cooing. I touch them softly as a shadow. And it's amazing how it works. And I realized I had a bias that I was unaware of. Now, you know, I'm woke. <laughs> Um, I hated moray eels. I hated sharks because Hollywood taught me to be yes. terrified of them. Yeah. If you Google sharks, you know, or shark attacks or whatever, you're going to find that there are, they have a, the big three sharks that are right. killers. The white shark, the tiger shark, and the bull shark. Okay. And the reason they're the big three is they are large enough to do serious right. damage. They frequent the same waters as humans. And they have teeth that are made to shear flesh rather than to grip oh, and hold. Okay. Because other sharks grip and hold, right? Right. I was reading that, that they, they're in murky water, that whatever sharks are in murky water, oh. they can't 
attack and then reapproach because they wouldn't be able to find the prey. So they grip uh -huh. and hold. So oh. that's interesting that there's there's th that difference because the w water we're going to be in is clear. So that makes sense for these stories. Yeah, there we go. Yes, that is, so that uh, the sh the tooth shape has to do with visibility. That's interesting of the waters. Yes, yes, <sighs> yeah. Because they can't attack and then reapproach and attack and reapproach. They once they get it, they have to hold on to it or they're going to lose it. Okay. See, I think that's really scary too. <laughs> Oh, it is. It is. But I'm not going to be in The shearing thing is really water. scary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but so is the gripping and holding. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Well, this guy, Jim. Everett, I didn't mean to scare you. No, it's okay. Uh, it's, it's not like I'm in a dark space, like I'm underwater or anything. <laughs> I seem to be floating in the in yes, black well, void. Yeah. Yeah, your your space is come. You know, I'm my recording studio is full of fabric, so there's like gingham behind me. <laughs> where you're in this like black space, everything's completely black, and then you're like in the center of it, and which is scary to me. But go ahead. I know. Sometimes I look at myself and I think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just a disembodied head in the void of the space. <laughs> um, this is actually the backdrop for my orchid photography so which i also use as yes. a sound buffer it's felt anyway that's why that's why i look like this because <laughs> i'm an orchid maniac anyway so jim abernethy is the person i'm going to talk most about today and he has befriended the big three he's um he's an underwater photographer which explains the clear water and the teeth that shear ah. that's how he yes. he got he got in tight with these guys um, I, I don't know the exact date because I didn't double check this, but I have this, I've heard him say a couple times, 13 years ago, I think he was in the news for a little while. So, but, so I'm not sure if it's 13 years from 2021, I really doubt it. So it must be longer. Some time ago, let's say, this is how it all began. I, once upon a time, he noticed a tiger shark that he had been seeing for several years. So apparently sharks have neighborhoods. And so if you frequent that neighborhood, you're going to see the same sharks around. If they have any distinguishing feature, which this shark did, he was missing an eye, which tends to make you distinctive. And so he, this time that Jim went down and saw the shark that had one eye that he names Cap, his named Captain Rock. So he sees Captain Rock, but this time he sees Captain Rock. Captain Rock is sporting a lip ring. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Poor guy. Okay. Yeah. And he felt sorry for it, as you do if you don't right. understand lip rings. <laughs> so it looks like it hurts. So he feels sorry for Captain Rock. And um, and by the way, he, he says uh, Captain Rock is still alive. He still sees Captain Rock. But he decided, he got like this wild hair to remove the hook. And so he, he says, uh, he got, this is how he put it, I went out on a limb. <laughs> Which I just, like, was fork, it your dude. arm or your leg? <laughs> yeah. I went out on a limb. It must be the arm. Right. <laughs> I went on a limb to see if maybe sharks are like dogs. Oh, that was his thought. Are sharks like dogs? And I'm thinking in retrospect, something he, he'd been frequenting these waters. He'd been watching them. So it probably wasn't going out that much on a limb because he'd been observing them safely. Right. Uh, and I have friends who dive and they, when you say, oh my God, I, I think I would have a heart attack if I saw a shark and they're like, Pfft. Don't worry about it, you know? Uh, so he'd been watching them safely. And so he, he thought, I wonder if sharks are sentient. And I wonder if they'll respond to affection. So he spent a couple of hours petting Captain Rock, hoping to gain enough trust that he could remove the hook for him, which is such a ballsy thing to do. <laughs> With those teeth, yeah. You know, because you figure it's going to hurt. And then, Yeah. So he started just like he'd hold his hand out and the shark would swim by and he would brush the shark. He was, what is that? As soft as a shadow. <laughs> <laughs> and the shark started coming by more often for him to touch. And when you think about sharks swimming, like you see them in schools of fish, there are all kinds of fish around them. You know, like it's like a multi-species where they're swimming together and they brush against each other and they have the lampreys against them. I, they mate, that, that involves touch. You know, so 
I guess it's not that wild notion that they might like to be stroked or that they might associate that with safety or pleasure at all. So he spent a couple of hours petting Captain Rock more and more and more until Captain Rock began to tolerate his presence for longer and longer periods. And he, and get this, did I mention that it's a tiger shark? It's one of the big three. Yes. Yeah. He was able to pull the shark's face in close enough to his face <laughs> that he could examine the hook in the shark's mouth. Oh my God. And he, he was able to remove the hook without restraining the shark. I don't know how you would restrain the shark. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get a towel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you do with anything with claws, you wrap them in a towel. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he removed the hook. And since then, Abernethy and his crew have removed the hooks from 91 different sharks. That number has probably gone up. Uh, some of them have suffered multiple hook sticks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so if you Google his name, uh, you'll see it in the show notes there. And we'll share some of these videos on social media. There's, uh, there's one in particular of Jim at Tiger Beach in the Bahamas. It reminds me of the Valerie Taylor videos. Valerie Taylor saw um the mora eel what did she name honey she named it oh, Lord. <laughs> it's a spot of right anyway she <laughs> named the, the eel honey and when she's approaching there's like this open area it's off uh, off of um, indonesia the the island is banda it doesn't matter there's like a rocky formation and the eel lives there so she always goes back to the same place and now the eel recognizes her from a distance Wow. When she's approaching and she goes once a year. One time there was a, she was absent for three years. And as she approached, the eel saw her from a distance and came and just comes shooting across the sand toward her. And I'd go, Eek! <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's a video, Jim, uh, he goes down uh, to, uh, this is Tiger Beach in the Bahamas where the tiger sharks hang out in the clear water. He's got his camera because he's a videographer, underwater photographer, videographer. And his shark buddy, Tarantino is a female tiger shark. Um, she comes swimming up and he puts his camera down so he can pet her. And they have this heartwarming reunion you know, like when a soldier comes home and the family golden retriever, <laughs> German Shepherd, hasn't seen him in three years. Just like you, loses it, right? Loses it and you cry. Like I always cry when I watch these videos. Uh, yeah, that's the moment that he shares with 15-foot female tiger shark. In this particular video that we'll share with you, there's a strong current. So he puts his camera down and the camera stays put and the current pulls them away from just like disappear oh. into the sand right it's all stirred up and they just vanish and then he doesn't want to lose his camera so he swims back he's like at some point he goes whoa i'm, I'm drifting and he swims back and he tells you in the voiceover he thinks well i guess my you know happy moment with tarantino is over you know tarantino's got the hello and it's going to move on so as he's swimming back to his camera with his back turned this tiger shark emerges right behind him. I mean, that shark is swimming too, as fast as Jim is, maybe a little faster. You just see this mouth coming up behind him. And he turns and Hollywood or everything that we know has trained us that Jim's going to die. <laughs> and he turns and the shark is like bumping him, pet me, pet me. Wow. Yeah. And it happens twice i think that they drift and swim back and and you see the shark chasing him he says we're actually making friends with a wild animal that most people believe to be a vicious killer but the truth is so different they come back to receive affection again and again and that's what you see in the videos the sharks coming back again and again for hmm. petting now he he'll emphasize that you know don't be listening to this or watch one of these videos and go hot damn i'm going down <laughs> the shark you know? Because these sharks have been tamed. Yes. They're all afraid of people at first, and they don't want you touching them. But once they realize how nice the petting feels and that they can trust right. you, they like it. They like the connection. They will come back for more. So if you want to do this, you want to go to one of these places with one of these people, take all their advice and go to the places where the sharks that I are- I think it would take a lot of time to acclimate. I mean, we have 
deer in our yard looking in the window like excuse me are you going to bring any kind of you know I've eaten all your seedlings um (laughs) (laughs) so they're used to people they are completely suburbanites at this point I would think that that would take some time for them to become acclimated to your presence they're used to having you around so you're not a threat anymore kind of thing but that's got to take time it's not like you're going to go swim with the dolphins somewhere (laughs) exactly yes these sharks uh these this crew frequents these areas with the same right. sharks. They call them, uh, some of the sharks like attention. Remember, we've talked about flight distance before. Mm-hmm. Individual tolerance. So there's species flight distance. Flight distance is the distance at which you will yes. flee when you get right. close to. So like wolves have a very high flight distance. You'll never even see them. Mm-hmm. Whereas the chickadee has a very short flight distance. You can get kind of close to them. Some hummingbirds too. Your deer yeah and so some of the deer don't even come in your yard because they're too jumpy right so the ones that you see are the ones that have a shorter flight distance or a higher tolerance for the proximity of a possible threat so the the reckless the courageous it's true apparently with these sharks too and there are some that swim in close and he calls them supermodels because they they're the ones that everybody takes pictures of because they come in close right They also come to, even though you're in a wetsuit, and because sharks uh, eat fish flesh, which is white when it tears, you don't want anything white on you. You don't want to go down in a a white wetsuit or a white bikini. (laughs) So they tend to put on wetsuits that cover all the skin if you're a white person. That's a a disadvantage (laughs) in the water. And they have wear black hoods and a and a mask that covers the face. So and they make sure that they, they don't even have a gap at like the glove okay. and sleeve or the pants and the flipper. But even all covered up like that, the sharks recognize individuals. That's people. shocking. Yeah. Because they don't like strangers. Okay. And they come to prefer specific diver divers. They'll take a shine to one diver and not another one. So the divers go down and sharks, their favorite sharks single them out and they interact more and more. And I guess reinforce that bond. And Jim says, when you go down on one of his dives with him, the sharks go up to the new people and look them over. And he says, you'll notice they never check out the crew. And that's because they already know them. Oh, I noticed watching these videos that um, the divers were doing this little thing with their hands. They would hold up their hand and then run their fingers back and forth over their thumbs. It goes like, it's what I do with a cat. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I saw them doing that. And then in one of these videos, he talks about that. That's a hand signal for, do you want your head rubbed? Oh. Yeah. So you'll see them doing that hand signal. And so they, uh, the sharks see that hand signal and come up. They know that you want to pet them and they'll come up to be petted. Wow. So it's like a, it's a, it's a command. It's a cue. Right. Some of the sharks love being petted so much that they prop their tails on the sand to brace themselves for the rub down. <laughs> and they recognize you, even if you change your wetsuit, you don't have to wear the same wetsuit. I wonder if it's um, smell. Oh, interesting. Because they have a predator's sense of smell. So it's very, very strong. So it might be smell. Interesting. Yeah, I would think because he says it's visual because they they will come swimming from a distance oh, like that oh, more okay. eel. To check them out. Okay. But what are they? If it if it isn't smell, which makes so much sense, but then that would depend on which way the water is right. flowing. You're going to talk. Uh, they have uh, sensors, right, in their skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Even they can sense electrical charges. Do we have an electrical thumbprint? That's a really good question. I mean, we know we have a very slight electrical field. (laughs) Very, very slight. So that's... Some some slighter than others because it's brain activity. (laughs) Um, But... uh, um, (laughs) the, The one thing I wanted to mention was that I came across terms of their intelligence you know one of the ways that we measure intelligence is social interaction and Mm. they actually from 
the studies that they've done and, and observing sharks, they, they, the big they, have found out that they have complicated social interactions within their group. Like you said, some of them hang out in these neighborhoods and they also hang out with certain other individuals more than you'd expect due to random chance. So they're buds. They, there are other, you know, they're sharks who prefer okay. each other more than other sharks. So they have friendships, basically. Like the, so, they have friendships with individual divers, but they also have their own buddies among, among their, their among the school. the neighborhood. Yeah. So that speaks wow. to personality, which is another thing that we yes. attribute to higher brain function, I suppose. The more I've been reading up on animal intelligence, one of the ways they measure likely intelligence is not the size of the brain. But the, uh, blah, 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 blah. I actually wrote it down so I say, I'd say it right. It's body size to brain size. And their body size to brain size ratio is large as, say, a crow, which is, you know, actually enormous. So a lot of animals that we recognize as being very intelligent, they have that brain to body size ratio. So they have an enormous brain. When I went Googling this very briefly, um, I was sad to see the same thing that you're talking about, only it was saying that sharks had very small oh. brains compared to their body size. Therefore, they were stupid. And I thought, didn't we dispense with oh. that ratio? No, I've been a long reading time more ago. about it, actually. Yeah. So I think it sounds like you got more updated, sophisticated. Uh, just It's just like when you Google it and it says, are sharks smart? And you click on the drop down menu and it'll go, no, <laughs> sharks have small brains to their body and, and it's it's over. And uh, that's so sad that that's the first thing you'll see. So the word of caution. I actually got this from Sport Diver. I was reading some Sport Diver. They, they of course, got it from, they took it from studies and then made it popular here this is this refers to us because we swim with these guys sharks possess brain to body mass ratios that are similar to mammals and birds and have exhibited apparent curiosity and behavior resembling play yes and there's evidence that juvenile lemon sharks can use observational learning yes so they can learn from each other and they investigate novel objects in their environment. And they've also had them solve puzzles. And they'll remember the solution to that puzzle at least for a year. Wow. Remember it a year later. They present it again. They they remember how to do it. So that jives with them uh, recognizing individual people a year or even right. three years later. Uh, I, yes. I'm just, I'm just yeah, pulling more rails into it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh well this is this is to get away from your story to bring in another animal the rays are related yes to rays sharks? i think so yes i think so they have complex social relationships as well and can recognize themselves in mirrors get out of town a, a ray can yes no because i can't even recognize a ray. <laughs> I know, right we just here in the Gulf Coast of Florida, we just step all over. <laughs> all those poor things. Oh, my God. <laughs> you got to do the shuffle, Don't people. They sting? <laughs> I, I guess maybe not all of them do. But, oh, manta rays. Mm. Excuse me. The big rays. Manta oh, rays. So beautiful. I know. Yeah, they can recognize themselves in mirrors, which we assume is a sense of self, yes. which assumes a theory of mind, which on and on and on. So, Oh, my gosh. I'm going to cry. Wow. I am because, because they can go, oh man, I got a pimple. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so sorry for them. <laughs> the thing is with the um, us and them, I just took, I just spent the last three days at a virtual dog behavior conference and it was almost exclusively cognition, intelligence, behavior, of course, uh, neuroscience. One of the things they talked about was the, the us, them bias. You just naturally look for Things that wreck that look like oh, you. sure, and then you assume because because they resemb physically resemble you that you have things in common. Right, of course. Something like a stingray doesn't look a damn thing like a human. 
No, it just looks edible. <laughs> well, Jim says, if you take the time to get to know sharks, they'll remember you even if you change wetsuits. I think I said that. And once they get to that comfort level with you, he says, wow, magic can really happen. There aren't really words to describe the movement that happens inside you when a large wild animal actually connects with you in a way that is so empowering. This is in a Netflix documentary, like a half hour documentary that uh, we will connect you with or give you the link. Uh, And I noticed as he says this, I had to play it back in part because I was taking dictation, but also because I couldn't believe my eyes when I looked at his eyes as he said these words. I, I had to double check. Is he really crying? And yes, as he tells you, there really aren't words to describe the movement that happens inside you when a large wild animal actually connects with you. His eyes fill with tears. Mm. Anyway, he talks about this uh, friendly tiger shark named Emma. You were saying they were yeah. playful? Yes. She says that she uh, Emma follows him around like a dog. <laughs> Uh, she he calls her a gentle du- giant. Gentle giant is a phrase that I heard a number of the people in these videos say. She is playful and loving. Wow. She's been following Jim around for over twenty oh my years. God. So he talks about how long it took to tame her, if that's the the word we're going to use. You know, to to develop a relationship. We shouldn't say tame because that's that's powered. Develop a friendship of a trusting relationship and intimacy. So uh, he's. She's—he's removed four hooks from her mouth. Wow. You know, part of what he's—it's like a doctor to doctor visit. Like he goes down looking for hooks. Who needs a hook removed? But he says it's the same as your dog recognizing you. That's the impression he has. He—he he did say it's totally visual. She's 15 feet long and intimidating until you get to know her. And then he says, I'm quoting here, she is literally the same personality that you would find in a Labrador retriever. Wow, I really don't make that connection with sharks. That's amazing. One thing that uh, what you just said with the the hooks where he goes down and it's sort of like hospital and which one needs a hook removed. You know, there's the whole remora thing. Yes. Where these little remoras um, are small fish and they clean the sharks and the sharks let them they don't eat them they're flesh you know they're they're fish a shark would eat them i was thinking about that because they're always slithering along their bodies there's a physical contact yeah they're cleaning you know whatever beasts are trying to inhabit the shark skin or they Mm -hmm. may even clean their teeth i'm i'm not a hundred percent certain on that there are those birds that clean alligator teeth. I know. I think it's kind of the same thing, but they, you know, there's um, a symbiosis there. There's a, there's a give and take kind of thing. I won't eat you if you get the um, little parasites off my, my back. So, so they're just using the remoras as uh, dermatologists. Yes, yes. And so it makes sense if you were going to take that behavior and put it forward that they know when something is beneficial. Okay, this dude that we see all the time comes and takes these awful things out of our mouths that just hurt like hell and makes it hard to eat, whatever. Right. (laughs) So they know how that works. And if it's true that they're capable of social learning, then they will watch, say, one of these sharks that's tamed or why do I keep saying that? Friendly, that has learned to trust humans. They see them go up and get petted, and then they relax a little bit because they see that Jim Abernethy is safe. And they may even see Jim remove a hook, and then they get a hook. It stands to reason they're like, yes. oh, I know what to do. I think you can make that because they've said they can learn from other, you know, they socially learn. And that would make perfect sense. I don't see why you couldn't make that assumption. Wow. Well, I'm going to tell you some bad things. <laughs> Jim, this has isn't led... like Grizzly Man, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. No, Jim has led. He d- he does these tours, these uh, open water shark, cageless shark dives, and you can go with him. But one person died out of thousands. Okay. So this guy Marcus Grohl, he was a 49 year old Austrian lawyer. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but anyway, I'm just going to call him Marcus from now on. It was February, 2008. He went down 
on one of these shark encounter tours. We'll have a link for you uh, to the shark accident report. So they put chum in the water. That's how this works, right? They have this. Oh, well, that attracts them. Yes, it's a black milk crate and they put chopped up fish in it and then they drop it from a rope from the boat and they position the boat so that the current pulls the blood out to sea. By the way, you probably came across this too, that when a human is bleeding in the water, sharks don't come to eat you. Right. But they, if, if a fish is bleeding in the water, they will come. And women can swim while they're getting their food. I always stay out of the water. I'm sorry. Just go to the shore and go, no, not going in today. It's not a problem. They, I think they don't like us because we're too, they're, they're not, uh, they don't like to eat things. They're not used to eating. They're just like us. Anyway, so the sharks will come. Uh, they can't get the bait because it's in the box, but they hang around anyway because now they're getting, I mean, they're curious. Like you said, they're novelty seekers not with food, but with just what's this new object in the water. So this guy, Marcus, was on one of these dives, but the rope was too long, they say. I don't know how they figured that out, but a bull shark pushed the bait. They do come and bump the bait box. And this bull shark pushed the bait box toward the divers. And when it was trying to get the bait, it bit Marcus. Ooh. And the injury was fatal. Yeah. Um, no tissue was removed. Mm -hmm. The shark didn't eat any of Marcus. However, the femoral artery was severed. In some articles I saw that, I mean, when you hear femoral artery, you think thigh. And some of the articles said thigh, and then others said it was his calf. And anyway, uh, some of the articles said that he was mauled to death. Uh -huh. However, it was just like one slice that the shark didn't eat any of him. He died the next day in the hospital of exsanguination Ooh. resulting in hypovolemic okay. shock. That's the real reason I'm telling you the story is just so I could say exsanguination resulting in hypovolemic shock. So it was just a single mistaken bite and the, the shark immediately let go and moved on. So there's this article called the, Sh the truth about the shark attack and attack is in quotation marks. People who are shark advocates Right. Don't like that word. Guy Christopher Chin, who wrote the article, he uh, the article is largely about the kind of language that is used in media coverage. I saw one article that read that this guy Marcus died after being gnawed oh, during a dive. Which, when you read the shark attack report, he was not gnawed. I mean, that's that's what dogs do with rawhide is repeated. You know, uh, these guys uh, like Chin and Abernethy. Um, and another guy we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, they always put it in perspective, like how many people die a year from motorcycle accidents, how many people die a year of parachuting. Chin says 40 people died in uh, parachuting accidents the previous year, but only one person died of a shark bite. So he, they argue that this kind of correction of perception mm -hmm. of sh the danger of sharks is critical to the survival of sharks, yes. to the health of the oceans, and to our planet. So I don't want to dwell on that because they do such a good job and they are so convincing and passionate about that. Abernethy said in the 80s, he discovered sharks are being wiped off the planet faster than any other animal in the history of our planet. It's probably not a coincidence that the 80s, when the killing of sharks increased, follows the release of Jaws, yes. the movie. Jim himself has been bitten. He was bitten in 2011 and made all the news, uh, of, of course, because uh, there are some people who think he should not be doing what he's doing. And that's very dangerous and he needs to stop. But they've only lost one person uh, and he's taken thousands of people down. But he was packing a bait crate. Oh. And a lemon shark bit his hand. And he, he just got stitches. He has no lasting Your damage. Your dog will do that. Yeah. That's so funny. I was thinking like when you're playing tug of war yeah. with your dog and they, and they, and they shift their grip. Yeah. Sometimes your fingers are yeah. in the way. Well, there's this film I mentioned earlier. It's called Tales by Light, Mis Misunderstood Predators, part two. <laughs> um, it's on Netflix. And this guy, Eric Chang, is an underwater photographer and a great friend of Ebernethy. So one of the, there are two, there's part one, Chang goes in a river in Brazil to swim with anacondas. Ooh. And then part two, that's part one, part two is uh, swimming with Jim's sharks at Tiger Beach, I think is where they go. 
Uh, he says, those of us who spend a lot of time with sharks in the ocean have a very different idea of what sharks are. There's a really nice balance between recognizing and celebrating what makes them effective as predators and understanding that they pose little to no threat to humans. In fact, it might be the other way around. And you get to see in this video, I, I hope you'll watch it. There's a bull shark that has swum through a packing loop. Oh, you know, it's kind of the like the plastic um, like you have around uh, newspapers. Yes. Have you ever delivered yeah. newspapers? I, I did. Yeah, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Me too. They used to let kids go ring people's doorbells. Yes, and collect money and, <laughs> and go out. Mine was yes, a morning, morning paper route. So I had to go out in the Me streets too. at like 5.30 a.m. Yes. by myself <laughs> and walk around town. <laughs> I don't even know why I was doing it. It's not like I needed the money, but. I just thought this is what people do. They work. You would laugh what I did with the money. Yeah. Are you gonna tell I me? went to Barbizon Modeling School. That's how I paid for it. I should have done that. Damn around. it. <laughs> that God. was such a smart idea. That's hilarious. I wanted to go to public school and I couldn't I couldn't find the way to Sesame Street. Um, <laughs> Well, so this one bull shark has had that loop around its body for so long, and it was growing, the, the shark was growing, that it has grown into the flesh in some areas, and the shark is severely disfigured on one side Ooh. from that loop. The crew has been trying for months to cut the loop just to break the pressure, right? Oh, yeah. But the shark is not friendly. It's a shy shark, maybe because it doesn't feel well. And they're worried that this is going to kill the shark. Like it's, it's to the point where it's so awful to see. So during this dive where they're filming for Netflix, one of the crew, I, they did mention his name, but I missed it. He just decides I'm, I'm going to do this maybe because cameras are going. Now's the moment, you know? So he keeps working on it. And there's a moment when he swims up underneath the shark and he gets his knife in there and he pops that loop and um, gives you the thumb up. But once they cut the loop, the shark makes repeated passes as if inviting them to, to continue. And they, they managed to pull the plastic completely free. Wow. And then, you know, and you, you're doing a lot of, that's not the main story of, of this episode. So after the dive, they're back up on the boat. <clears throat> the sun is setting, you know, it's the Bahamas, it's beautiful. That shark is on the surface now swimming along the boat. Wow. Yep. It kind of reminded me of that childhood folk tale where the, the lion has a thorn in its paw. I was just thinking about that, about the thorn. I was actually. I'm like, oh, it's like when you pull the thorn out of the lion's paw and he's your buddy. Yes. They freely, the men on this boat, freely uh, call that gratitude, that the shark is grateful. So I was thinking, um, I would say that they made him feel better and he wants to feel even better. So he's going to hang out with these guys. <laughs> yes. Isn't that how we fall in love? Like when I'm near you, I feel better. I mean, I feel uh, right. really, really better. It feels so good when I'm Do sharks have dopamine? Hmm. Yes, I would say or so. Or something that plays that, that role. What it is. Sure reward centers of course they have reward mm -hmm. centers <laughs> of course, that's what it is so everyone who goes on these dives with jim comes up onto the boat afterwards i've seen a number of these now and they're gushing and they're saying they're gentle giants which i mentioned before and they also keep using the word magic um and as i'm you know who is the guy who who got stabbed in the chest oh, by steve irwin the australian we, we all irwin. Steve. Yeah, he, he was just such a, um, a gutsy, macho Greek yes. geek. Well, know, that was just a, it. He would be excited geek. about the animals and, oh, very lovable. Oh, my goodness. I cried. <laughs> yes, but there was also a, um, a, yes, me too. We all, the whole world was fond of him, but he also had a machismo. Very much so. Uh, there was, an, a, there was a, the element of an adrenaline rush here too. But that's not what you see with these men. Oh, I see what you're saying. Who swim with sure. these sharks? They, yeah, they aren't. 
action right. heroes. You know, they aren't um, seeing how close they can get to the to, to the lunging cobra. You know? Right. <laughs> So as I was watching them, I was thinking these these aren't macho men. I mean, maybe they are, but uh, that's not the affect yes. that you're getting. They're very peaceful, and they <laughs> cry when they talk about. <laughs> they do. They cry when they talk about the fate of sharks and the fate of the oceans. And then I realized these are men who are in love with sharks. Yes, these are they are their friends. There's a tenderness here. They, the affection the sharks come to receive from them, the men feel for the sharks. And that woman, Valerie, felt that affection for the eel. It's, it's, it's mutual. This last story I'm going to share with you, I, I tried to, I read it once and then I tried to find it again and I can't find it again. So hmm. maybe one of our listeners can find this uh, story. I, I did find a, a, an abbreviated version on a Facebook hmm. post, but uh, we mentioned Captain Rock and Tarantino and Emma, a lot of these sharks that Abernathy has been seeing for years. He is very fond of and he's named them. And there was, there was one named White Spot. It was a female tiger shark. She had a white spot on her dorsal fin. Okay. He, she followed him around. They were buddies, right? And she was very affectionate. And then one day he got a call from, I can't remember who it was. It was, uh, I think it might've been people in a bar, like a waiter or a bartender or the owner of the bar, called him to tell him that uh, trophy hunters had killed white spot. <sighs> uh, white spot was hanging outside the bar oh my god and the men were of course uh, the trophy hunters were getting their photos taken and yeah. they were going for the world record that was their goal they wanted the world record of the largest tiger tiger shark and um white spot was very big and they were pretty sure they had the, i guess the the hook weighs the animal so okay uh, sure they were pretty yeah. sure they had the world record and so they were celebrating they went into the bar to drink to celebrate so the because the shark was being weighed on the dock, um, oh. and like I said, I, I I couldn't be sure about this. But when they went in for the drink, somebody went and called Jim and said White Spot is dead. Oof. One of the reasons she weighed so much is she was pregnant. Oh. So while the people are drinking in there, while the killers are drinking in the bar to celebrate, some of the local Bahamians thought she was pregnant and cut her open to see if they could save any of her babies. And as you know, uh, sharks don't lay eggs. You know, right. They, uh, like us, they give. Uh, that's interesting because you mentioned they had mammalian, other mammalian characteristics. Yeah. Um, they don't nurse. Not even the nurse sharks nurse. Oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. They have teeth when they're born. <laughs> Let's talk about pregnancy. Let's talk about sh pregnant sharks because White Spot was killed when she was pregnant. And when they cut her open, she was in fact pregnant and all of her babies perished except two. Oh. And they were released. They still had the umbilical cord attached, but they were released and hopefully they're okay. And Jim happened to be great friends with Guy Harvey. I don't know who Guy Harvey is, but uh, Guy Harvey was able to get the uh, attempted world record disqualified. Oh. Yeah, I'm interested in why is this magic? They yes. all say that. In fact, the uh, an article in the Huffington Post about Valerie and her eel is a woman shares magical bond with spotted moray eel. Hmm. There's the sense of awe. Yes, I think that's wonder that something that could kill you isn't right. I think it's what um, what we have with horses. Okay. Oh, and they do kill us. By the way, <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm sure there's probably more stomping deaths with horses than there are shark attacks. Shark mistakes. Yes. It's not a shark attack. It's a shark, shark mistake. Bite. How's that? Tell me more about sharks. Yeah, well, see, you're talking about shark pregnancy, which is such a good, I don't know if you planned it, but wow, what a segue. I started in the world as a poet, and I have a poem that's done very, very well called <laughs> Ontogeny Recapitulates Phylogeny. And I guess it's called a theory. I guess it's a theory. 
it, how do you prove it? But basically a human embryo, as it develops, goes through all the stages of evolution. At one point we have gill slits. It yes. can just go from there. And I know babies also have fur <laughs> at one point. And then that falls off, I, I guess, yes. in the womb. But my point was that my daughter was kind of out of control in the back of the car and she bit the sleeping baby beside her. And she was also a very verbal child who was very interested in, uh, you know, her subject was animals. And she read a lot about sharks, you know, their teeth grow back is one of the lines. And then she bites her sister. And then I go <laughs> off on this riff about pharyngeal gill slits. Yes. Part of the research as I'm doing the poem, and it, it came up, I put it in the poem, was that sharks are interuteral cannibals. And more and more, there's, I guess it's made the news. It's, it's not new research, but it's contemporary research about this cannibalism within the womb, wow. which is just amazing. They found out, it's very, it's not common. Okay. Oh. Thank God. <laughs> Uh, among the animal world that embryos will eat each other post-birth there's cannibalism i bet hyenas eat their womb mates yes they probably do but they are this is just some of it is just shocking so i knew that that like the bigger one would would eat the smaller embryos okay and they're pups they're called pups Oh, like golden retrievers. Yes, like pups. So they're dog-like. They call them, babies are called pups. So they do, as you pointed out, they have multiple pregnancies. They have a litter, I guess. But they have, <laughs> yeah, they have separate wombs for each embryo. Okay. And it has been documented that they will leave their place and swim into the other place and eat the baby <laughs> they will swim from their little womb pocket they, they have like bedrooms they have like bedrooms and swims to the next womb pocket and eats it they say that there is frequent embryonic migration between the right and left uteri which wow. is which is contradictory to sedentary mammalian fetuses you know yeah mammals don't yeah do that the umbilical cord has to be pretty long and i wonder if they get tangled uh, I, yeah that's around. interesting they've documented that the embryo switching uteruses from three times to 24 migrations throughout the pregnancy it was first seen in 1993 uh, and wow. it was actually done during an invasive surgical procedure that was being carried out on the shark and I think they saw it happen as they were doing this. So okay. there was this idea that maybe it was um, it was caused by a stressful situation. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it's more likely that in this mode of reproduction, active swimming ability of the embryos allows it to effectively search and capture nutritive eggs in the uterine environment. So they not only eat the smaller, weaker babies, uh, pups they also oh. eat eggs the mother's eggs oh. which i thought huh. evolutionarily wise that's not much of a strategy but if i i've been thinking that this whole time why what's the benefit to murdering well there is a benefit okay there is there is a benefit and they've they're pretty certain this is exactly why but they don't talk about the eggs, but it must be if they are free-floating eggs for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Maybe they would expire yes. or okay. not be viable. That could possibly be it. But they've discovered that it has everything to do with survival of the fittest, basically. Okay. Yeah, it has everything to do with paternity and strength of mate what? so it's a struggle for paternity in utero they will a lot of the pups or their litter mates and they do call them litter mates in the womb uh, mm -hmm. the largest embryo eating all but one of its siblings and they did basically paternity tests 
and the ones that survive will be of the same paternity. Oh, <gasps> so they will eat the competitor. Whoa, it's like half siblings, stepchildren. It's a tale as old as yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's it. You know, you want your genes in the gene pool. You don't want the other dude's genes in the gene pool because you want to be the successful one. And that is kind of bred into many, many, many mammals, the animal world. I mean, it's, it is the survival of the fittest. And it is a competition to keep your genes in the gene pool. You've just made me think when we started, which talking, is why they fight off other. Yeah. When we've started talking, we were talking about the us them dichotomy and how you look for similar and you assume uh, that's us. Oh, right. It's just this basic, like, are you wearing a red ball cap or not? Right. <laughs> like, and, and that person is your friend and that person you will be loyal to. Right. Yeah. But this makes the us them distinct like um, uh, there they are they have the same maternal dna right. but they somehow recognizing uh, by scent maybe or electromagnetic but they're recognizing that half the dna splice is different right therefore it's, it's them yeah it's a it's them it's either it's us the, or yeah. them enemies the demonization of the right. other and and that is a, a survival strategy Males are competitives, and it's it's competitive because of the gene pool. I mean, that's are these just the male no. sharks who do this? Can we cast some shade on? <laughs> on no, gender? I don't think you can because it's it's about paternity. So a female. Okay, that's why you said male. I got yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, the male DNA. But I've long been interested in that. And when I found out that they migrate yes, to in the utero. other uteri and they're practicing their swimming, that completely blew my mind. It was just so horrific on some level. I'm not quite sure what it was. The base of my brain went, whoa. In murder. Um, what is it called when you kill a sibling? Mm. Like a matricide is you kill your mother. Everything I've ever read about this, it might fratricide. Yes, I think it would be because you have fraternal twins. Yeah, it would have to be fratricide. I'm, I'm sure it is. Fratricide? Like fraternity, your brothers. Right. Fratricide. Right. The killing of your brother. Everything I've read simply talks about um, interutero cannibalism is <laughs> basically what they say. Um, this is the best. I, I, I'm going to end with this little, this little story. Uh, one of the articles I was reading said um, in the Journal of Biology Letters, analyzed shark embryos found in sand tiger sharks at various stages of the um, gestation and later in pregnancy, more likely, it, this was the more likely the remaining sharks had just one father. But in this study, the co-author, Demian Chapman, who's a marine biologist at Stony Brook University of New York, Chapman says that legend has it, and that's the wording. I, this isn't a direct quote, but this is the you know paraphrase that the author of this article uses. Legend has it that a shark embryo actually bit a researcher's hand during a dissection when the researcher reached into the uterus of the shark's mother. Okay. And when I read that, because of the legend has it, I wrote under my notes, I'm like, I put cool story, bro, tell it again. But then I found actually from a Forbes article, but they were talking about the story of life, uh, BBC nature documentary, uh, one of the Sir David Attenborough, one of my heroes, he tells uh, David Attenborough tells a story. Yes. Just a correction, each embryo does not have its own <laughs> uteri, your uterus. The female has two uteri. So when they were talking about swimming from left to right and right to left um, to eat the other ones, Attenborough's talking about this. And he said, about the cannibalism, he says, you know, okay. infant teeth are being put to good use 
as the female's two largest unborn pups slowly eat their siblings, it ensures only the strongest and largest babies survive. The legend has it is cleared up in the Attenborough. Oh. So it is real in the Attenborough documentary. It was accidentally discovered in 1948. We have a date. We oh. know that it happened. It is no longer a legend. Accidentally discovered in 1948 when a scientist poking around in one of the uteri of a sand tiger shark was suddenly bit by one pup on the hand. <laughs> so that was an accidental biting, I'm sure. And actually it thought it was another shark or was protecting itself. Yeah, makes sense. But I just thought that that was so brilliant. I did see, uh, I did my cursory review of uh, shark cognition, and I did see that there are studies showing that there is shark culture, that there are communities that have culture. And swimming and, and getting petted by divers is part of the shark culture of Tiger Beach. You know, we address those sorts of things with uh, orcas. I don't think we would ever think in popular yeah. culture to think of sharks as being as intelligent, like we contribute the culture of different orca pods to their intelligence. Well, sharks also have communities that act different from other communities of sharks. I think we also think of them as solitary predators, but they're not. Yes, I'm glad you but, said that. I meant. To I mean, we that. even mm -hmm. see video. Yeah, but we often see video where there's a group. Yeah, true. I don't. Where did we get the idea that they were solitary? Jaws. Jaws. <laughs> because there were jaws. no other robotic sharks hanging out. Sharks. Right. No other robotic yeah, Bruce, sharks Bruce hanging was, out. Was an automaton. He was a mechanized yes. puppet. Right. I said that I was going to end on that last bit, but I lied. I've got one more. I'm going to end on this. Another study came out, and this is a completely, this is not cannibalism. <laughs> this is not eating your brother, your sister. There is a new study that made the popular media, and it was first published in the Journal of Frontiers in Marine Science. And there were researchers studying deep sea sharks found three species off the coast of New Zealand that have the ability to glow in the dark. What? An ability like? Well, bioluminescence. Do they, do they control of it? Do they turn it off, off and on? Or Oh, I don't know. I think that. Like octopi. I don't think it's that. Colors. I think it's more of a uh, bioluminescence. Okay. It's not their entire body. And these are only the ones that are in the twilight zone in the ocean where there's very little light. Uh. But, and they're saying, you know, usually uh, fish or anything that uses bioluminescence often uses it to lure, to get attention and okay. to lure food, basically, like something, you know, the, that horrible, ugly fish. I forget. The angler fish. The angler fish, right? He puts out the little thing. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually got a fishing pole with a lure on the end in front of his mouth. They're horrific looking. They're so cool. But they found that um, the sharks that they were studying, they observed that it wasn't glowing to draw attention, but to avoid it. And this is how it works. I actually had to read this a couple of times to make sense of it. Okay. It is basically just on their bellies. So they don't, the whole body doesn't glow. Okay. But their bellies glow. Okay. So what that does for them is if they are hovering above prey. Okay. If they, you'd think if they were glowing, the smaller fish that they would want to eat would see them and run away. Yeah. But if they're looking up, that glow is going to meld in with the glow of the light <gasps> from the surface of the water. That's amazing. So it makes them invisible. Wow. To the prey below. You know, I had to picture it because I'm yes. thinking, well, how, how, does that, how does that hide them? And then I was like, surface, you know, when looking toward the surface from below, a very small amount of light can be seen. 
And I'm like, oh, if the sharks are blend above in, and they have Then you're light, not a shadow. You blend in. Then you're not a shadow. No. Like if you put a flashlight in front of the sun, you're, say you're looking at the sun, you put a flashlight in front of it that turned off, it's, there's a shadow. Right. You turn the flashlight on. No shadow. Yes. No shadow. Theoretically. And so it is uh, just the other sort of factoid that comes along with that is one of the sharks that has the bioluminescence is the kite fin shark. They're not a huge shark, but they do get to be six feet, which is a big animal. Um, it's officially the largest species of glowing fish known to science. Yes. So they're very complicated and very interesting, but that is such an amazing adaptation. We don't know how anything really develops. It just yes. mutates and works and then sticks around. <laughs> And like any good Sticky Jane, we hope that you'll stick around and join us again in this animal life. If you'd like to keep listening, there are two more episodes available right now. To learn more about this episode and others, visit us at our website, www.thisanimallife.com. And like our Facebook page and become part of the conversation. Or let us know your ideas, thoughts, or tell us your own animal stories. We'd love to hear them. Email us, thisanimallife at gmail.com. And please, don't forget to like, subscribe, and review.